Hi. It's been a while. This is great. Um, it has, I don't think I got to preach all summer, so this is nice. I like being back up here um, with you guys. We're going to be exploring uh, the 1 Corinthians chapter 1 today, so if you could turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as we talk about this book, I want us to just kind of uh, consider where Paul is coming from. Um, when I jump in, I'm not doing a series, so I like to give a little bit of background on what's going on before we actually get into the passage itself. Corinth is big city in the Roman Empire, right? Major port city. Um, our, our teens, we're actually going through Corinthians right now, so um, we talked about this a little bit, but it's on like an isthmus, which they were able to answer what it was because they were like, yeah, yeah, science class actually does some good in Bible class. This is great. It's a long, narrow strip of land with two bodies of water on either side. And the beautiful thing about that is that makes it a double port city. So Corinth was big in business, all right? So it became a big city. And like big cities, uh, it has all different types of people coming in. And because there are all different types of people from all different areas, different cultures, different walks of life, the Corinthian church had some really, really interesting group of people coming together. Because the thing that held them together was their faith in Jesus Christ. Beyond that, a lot of them were very, very different people. And so Paul is talking to uh, you, you'll see him reference several times throughout the passage we're looking at today. He's going to reference the Jew and the Gentile because these are two different people groups who are now part of this church who have a very different understanding of how life works, of how culture works. Some who had been living according to the law their entire lives, right? The, the church kids, right? And then you've got those who just came to this faith thing and have no idea what they're doing. They're just trying to figure all of this out. And there's some clashing going on. And in a lot of ways, that's what Paul is addressing is all of these different difficulties that's coming from that. And so I want us to just have that in our heads as we approach 1 Corinthians. But before I start, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so, so much that we are able to look to a book like Corinthians in your word. It's a, it's a great book because Paul is addressing people who are not perfect. He is addressing people who have had struggles and difficulties and are trying to figure this faith thing out, and he's walking them through that. A lot like us, God. Allow us to see that as we read from your word today, as we look to your word, allow us to see that we are who we are because of you and nothing we have done. And that's an amazing, good, wonderful thing, and I pray that we can see that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And I promised our sound team I will use the clicker today so they don't have to try to follow along with me. So here we go. All right. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Okay, there's a problem. There's quarreling. What? In a church? No, <laughs> right? That couldn't possibly happen. Paul is warning the church there's division among you. Uh, the, the Greek word for that is, is schisma, which is where we get the word schism from, right? It's, it's this idea to rent apart. Um, the, the difference in opinion actually pulls two different people or groups apart. So here's what's going on. Paul's saying, I, I, I want you guys, I want to warn you, please let there be no division among you. Oh, wait, I already know. I, I don't know if Chloe's people are like tattletales or like if they were just really concerned and went to Paul, or they're just causing more division. Whatever happened, there was a group of people who Chloe apparently is their leader. We really don't know much about Chloe's people, but they got word to Paul, hey, there's problems going on, and it needs to be fixed. There is, it, this is not good. And so Paul is addressing them. Let there be no divisions among you, because I've heard there's some quarreling going on. I'm sure none of you have ever seen quarreling or division in a church, right? No, right? <laughs> it happens, and it hurts people. I, I personally know people who won't step foot back in a church because of quarreling that happened that drove them away, because of schisms that they caught in the middle of. I'll, I'll substitute teach sometimes in the schools, and... Inevitably, they end up finding out I'm a pastor some way, shape, or form during my time there. They talk to me. They, most of the time, the question is, is this your real job? Because, you know, you're subbing. So, <laughs> no, this is not my real job. And it comes up that I'm a pastor and things like that. And it, is, it it's hurts how many times I have had kids in my classes who tell me, yeah, I, I used to go with my grandma, but the, the church wouldn't want me. They, don't, they wouldn't like who I am. Now, do you think anyone in their church specifically came to them and said, I don't want you in our church, get out? No. At 13 or 12 or 11, they got caught in the middle of schisms where things were said and their identity as God's child is crushed. Division in the church is dangerous. And Paul is warning them, do not let this be. And then he continues on and describes what the schisms, what the divisions are that's specifically going on here in Corinth. He says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In the church in Corinth, you had people who were starting to get these divisions, these little factions, and some claimed the authority of, of Paul. Oh, no, no, we're in Paul's camp. He's the real teacher. This is what he told me, and you guys are wrong. Someone else. No, Apollos, we're, we're his disciples. We follow him. You guys are wrong. Get out, right? The, the, and, and so they're starting to, to have these groups that are forming all throughout the church, you even have some who have this 
right? He, he's using this as a bad thing, I follow Christ, which at first doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? Like, of course, that's what you're supposed to do. But think about it more like this. Have you heard people who say, oh, I, I don't need to go to church. I've, I read my Bible on my own. I've, I've got this. This is my faith. You have people who, they, they're, they're saying they follow Christ. Really what they're saying is, I'm in my own camp. I've got my own faith. I figure it out on my own. I don't need none of you. They're letting others ideas, they're letting other influences start to affect their faith. So here's a question. Who do you follow? And don't answer that, because I know your automatic answer is going to be, I follow Christ, right? (laughs) Think about it for a second. Really take a second and think about who do you follow? And here's a better question to kind of follow into that. Who do you let influence your faith more than Christ? Maybe it's a certain great Christian leader, whether on TV, guy who stands up here every once in a while, you know, guy who stands up here every single Sunday. Maybe it's an old book. A lot of us lean into the, the, the old theologians of the past, and that's a good thing. That isn't bad. Maybe it's even your church or your denomination. But if we let our allegiance to any of these cause division among us, we've failed our calling to Christ Jesus because it stands against the gospel. I follow a lot of people on Facebook. Um, It's probably not good. I've got like 1,500 friends or something like that, right? I've never done one of those purge things. Have you seen people post like, Let's see who my real friends are, and then I'm going to delete all the rest of you, right? Uh Okay. I I haven't done that. Um, I just, I I don't even, I just accept whatever. Okay, go for it, right? Um, But with that, I've I've got a lot of people that I see when I scroll through my feed. I I don't do it too often, but I, I see a lot of different people. And there are more who post against Christianity on my page than for it. A lot of them, people that I went to school with from back in high school, uh, a lot of them people I've just met or things in the community. And my automatic reaction is, is offense to that, right? Have you ever seen people post stuff on Facebook that's like specifically against like Christians are like this? And it's like, no, I'm not. Leave me alone, right? But why is that? Why do I automatically get offended by what they think my faith is? Is my allegiance to the God they think I serve? Is my allegiance blindly to the name of Christianity? Or is my allegiance to God? I could just unfriend them, but I won't because I don't think they're trying to be mean. The things they post are things that they really believe. And to me, when I see those things, it's a reminder. There are a lot of people in this world who don't just not know Jesus, but fundamentally misunderstand who he is because they were hurt and confused by a quarreling and disunited church. 
Now, when I say that, that's not to say these other influences that we can have are not good things. They are very, very good things. We need to lean into our church. We need to lean into those who have studied God's word and learned from it and has things to share to us. But we cannot let that influence our faith more than Christ himself. Let's keep reading. Uh, Paul continues on to say, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. I love these little things because we see this is Paul really writing to the Corinthians, right? Like, I don't think there's anything majorly theological we gain from this, right? But what we know is Paul is saying, I'm not sure of everyone I baptized. There's a couple people I did, but for the most part, I didn't. But here's what we can gain from this. He's saying, I am glad that I didn't because that would be just one more thing that you guys could use to become more division in the church. You guys would be more followers of Paul than the other followers of Paul because he baptized them. But here's his point, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Okay, that's the setup, okay? <laughs> that's my introduction to the sermon, all right? Um, th this is so that we can understand what Paul is talking about when he gets into this next part of the passage, because this is where we glean something incredible about God from this problem that has arisen in the church. The folly and the power of the cross. Here's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I didn't come to make my own little groups. I didn't come to make my own disciples. I came to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And I didn't come with fancy words of eloquent wisdom. I love this verse because when every time I get up here, I'm like, I don't have to be fancy. I can just talk to you guys, and God's going to do what he's going to do with it. Um, but I, here's his point. Paul's saying, I didn't come in with all these fancy words and making all these fancy arguments and sounding educated, which Paul was quite educated, so like he actually probably could have done it that way. But Paul's saying, I chose to come in and give you the gospel as it is because the power is not in my words. The power is not in my ability to speak to you in ways that's convincing to you. The power is in the cross. And if I talked you into the cross, then that's depending on my own power, not on the power of the, what the cross actually means. And so he keeps going in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So here Paul is quoting from Isaiah um, chapter 29, where Isaiah is speaking of the people who honor God with their lips but fail to truly hold him in their hearts. That, that's what Isaiah is talking about. And he's talking about people who depend more on the wisdom and discernment that others can give them than the wonderful things that God can do for them. What Isaiah is doing is he's foretelling the cross. He is prophesying 
that Jesus will come, the Messiah, and will flip all of those, all that wisdom and all that discernment on its head because God's going to give them a wonderful gift that has nothing to do with all that wisdom that the people have amassed. Paul continues, where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not go, know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Okay, I'm going to slow down here because this is one of Paul's famously run-on sentence kind of things, right? It can be kind of flip-floppy and, and hard to interpret. So let's walk through it. It's important to remember that Paul's talking to a church made of very different cultures, right? And he's specifically talking to the, the Jews and the Gentiles as kind of the division in Paul's head. So he references the scribe and he references the debater, the smart guys of both of these different groups, okay? The scribe would be who the Jews would see as the most knowledgeable of Scripture. They're the ones who copied the law. They're the ones who knew the law inside and out. They're, they're the Bible geeks of the synagogue, okay, right? They're the theologians. They, they know their, their scripture well. So if anyone can think and figure out how to get to God and how to know God, it would be the scribe, in theory. The debater were masters of rhetoric, the, the Greco-Roman method of logic and argument, right? Um, I, I like to... Think of the Princess Bride, you know, you've got, ever hear of Aristotle, Socrates, Plato's? Fools, right? Those guys, their disciples, picture them, okay? That's, that's who Paul's talking about when, he, when he's talking about the debaters, the ones who have leaned into this idea of rhetoric, of, of well-constructed arguments and logic in order to reach conclusions that can teach and help us understand and unlock the mysteries of life itself in the, the universe, right? Paul's saying, where are these guys? Where, where is the salvation that comes from them? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It didn't do any good. That's what Paul's saying. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. We studied philosophy in, in college, um, which, since I'm bringing up Moody, I'd like to say hi to my friends. I've, had, I've got my Moody friends in the back there, um, Hannah, Gary, Joseph, and is Vanessa back there? Oh, there's Vanessa. Hi, Vanessa. It's bright up here. Um, and, and they actually went to Moody with me, and so we, we had a lot of fun there. But we took philosophy class, right? Yeah, they're, they're giving the bobblehead. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it was really interesting watching or learning a philosophy, um, especially from like the Christian perspective from a you know, Bible college like Moody. They got really, really close on a lot of stuff. Like they figured out things, like the, the way they thought through things, you could really see where like they've got a lot of understanding of of the reality in which we live in. And then they'd get super, super close to like this concept, but, and, and you can like literally see how God would be like the logical conclusion to this, but they never quite got there. They, the idea of the unmoved mover who set all things into motion in the universe, right? Sound familiar, right? Um, and, and all of these different kind of ideas. 
But the, in the wisdom of the world, the world did not go know God through that wisdom. That's not how we come to know who God is. And so it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What is it that they preach? The gospel. God the Son became man. Died on the cross, taking on the consequence of our sin, and then rising again the third day and having victory over death so that we may know that when we come to faith in what he did, we may have a restored relationship with God. That's what they preached. And what Paul's saying is this actually, to these people, to the wisdom of the world, doesn't actually sound all that smart. And he goes on to describe why that is. In verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. The Jews were looking for a Messiah, right? And in the wisdom of men, they thought they knew what that meant. And it does make sense, right? When, when you were talking of the Messiah, the one who would come and save the people, you're thinking of like a knight in shining armor who's going to come in guns blazing with all of his power and glory and is going to throw out, and, and they were thinking at the time, they're Roman oppressors, Right? That's pretty much what you're going to hear when, when God promises a Savior. And so they're looking for signs of the King of Kings, the greatness, the power. And Jesus came and submitted to the apparent weakness of death itself. The Gentiles were seeking wisdom itself, the genius of man, the, the height of human civilization, but salvation was through the cross. Now, you have to understand a, a little bit of the, the Roman culture of the time also. The cross, it, crucifixion was an embarrassment. It was not something that you, like, talked about. It, in Roman culture, it was kind of considered rude and, like, inappropriate to even bring up crucifixion in conversation. Like, that's not something you talked about. It was gross and, and a dirty part of their society that they would rather pretend didn't happen, right? This really torturous execution of their worst of the worst. You didn't, like, talk about that. And it's at the very center of our gospel. Like, we really can't talk about our faith without bringing up Jesus' death on the cross. Not exactly a good marketing tactic for the Christians, right? Nobody likes to talk about it, but this is kind of fundamental to our faith, so I have to tell you about it if you want to know what I believe. It, it, it doesn't work. But Paul's saying what even, even what appears to be the most foolish of God's actions is wiser than any man could ever hope to achieve. In verse 25, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's not saying that God has foolishness in him or weakness in him, but even the things that appear to us to be foolish or weak is well beyond anything we could even possibly begin to comprehend, which is exactly why it doesn't look all that smart to us. The folly of the cross. 
which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But as he said previously, to those who believe, it's the power of salvation. And so Paul leans into this idea of the power of salvation that comes from this. Verse 26, continue reading with me. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for bringing that up. Yep, we're we're not smart. We're not fancy. Okay. (laughs) But, verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Okay, this is another one of those kind of confusing sounding things, right? God's power, God's glory is all the more magnified by working in something that couldn't have possibly have done it on its own. That's what he's saying here. And he's saying, so, so things that should have been nothing, things that should have been worthless, God, he made you saints. He made you holy ones who are called. Remember, your calling is what he says. You are called to make disciples, to do the good that he has called you to do, to minister to those in this world who do not know him. And here's what that does for us, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Those things do not come from our own doing because we couldn't have. But that's the point. We weren't supposed to have been able to because that shows it was all God. So that, verse 31, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Consider your calling, church. It doesn't depend on wisdom or strength or success or where you come from, who you are on your own. It comes from what God did for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Personally, I know one of my failures is I'm often far too concerned with my significance in this world, with my place in the world, right? Um, my, My other thing I like to do is media. Where do you think that came from, right? I get to put my mark on stuff. but I don't need that. It's a wonderful gift that God has given me. You have wonderful gifts that God has given you, but the value is not in the gift, but in the one who gave it. If your pride causes the fear and shame of others in God's church, it will lead to division 
and you need to let that go. If your fear and shame of failure keeps you from caring for others, from ministering to the world, you're missing out on an opportunity for God to do great things. Isn't it funny how often we put our value in what others think of us? And it's hard. It really, really is. Um, Not too long ago, a couple years back, we had this problem with our car. I've, I've got this horribly gold Toyota car. It's, we, we, we call it our grandma car, okay? Because, like, we, as a 23-year-old kid, I should not have been driving this car, but it's what I could afford in Chicago, you know? I paid way too much for it because it was Chicago. But we've got this car, and it's done really great for us, but there was a problem where the heat plate under, underneath, um, one side of it had kind of busted off. And so it, it really does... It, doesn't hurt the car at all. It's just there's this metal plate underneath that keeps it from like burning your grass up and from there, it getting too hot underneath from the engine, right? Um, the problem is if one side comes off, it's kind of like flopping and it makes this horrible sound. It's awful, right? Now I found if I could get up to like 30 miles an hour, it just kind of like centrifugal force would like stick it up there or something and it would just stop making the noise, right? And okay, good. But every time I went through a drive through it was torturous, okay? Like okay, here we go, as I'm crawling through this drive-thru, right? Come up to the window, and, you know, as soon as it stops rattling, they'd be like, what'd you say? Oh, yeah, sorry, hold on. And then pull up to the window, and here's my car just clanking all over the place. And I'm like, oh, no, this is not good. And I couldn't afford to get it fixed, so it was on there for a really, really long time until my dad goes, oh, you don't even need that here. And he just, like, rips it off, and he's like, there you go, it's fixed. (laughs) I'm like, okay. The things you learn. But I hated going through drive-thrus, right? Like, why? Because I'm so concerned. Everybody in that line is like, what in the world is that sound? And be judging the, the, you know, 23-year-old kid in the grandma car sitting there, right? And then it's just as he's driving forward. We are so concerned with what our value is. We are so concerned with what we can boast in. We spend our lives chasing after things to brag about. If your fear and shame of who you are is keeping you from God, I want you to know that is not something you need to concern yourself with. Because without who Christ is, who we are has nothing to do with it. So instead, let's boast about what God has already done for us. I titled the sermon Bragging Rights, mostly because I needed a sermon title and I hate sermon titles. And I'm like, okay, creative, there we go. Okay, put it on there. That's usually how my titles go. Um, I don't like the whole title thing. It's, I, I never even liked titling my papers in college. But um, there's a point to it, though. There really is a point. We chase after our own bragging rights so much in this life. We try to just, we spend our entire lives amassing things that we can say, I did this. I got there. 
I accomplished that. I have this. But God's already given us the greatest gift we could have. So let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. When we sing our songs, our worship at the beginning of service, that's us boasting in who God is. When we head out into our lives and we go to work or school or whatever thing we volunteer for, whatever that is, what bragging rights are you looking for? Or are you boasting in the Lord? Are you taking that as an opportunity to show everyone there just what God did for you? how he has been working in your life and how he has been changing you. And you, if you haven't experienced that, put your faith in the cross. Put your faith in what Jesus did for us. Consider your calling because it doesn't depend on wisdom, strength, success, any other kind of thing that we consider the smart way to make it in this world. It all hinges on what Jesus did for us in his death and resurrection. And when we put our faith in that, everything else just kind of works. We may not like the life that we're going through, the thing that we're going through right now, but it is the good that God has given to us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Corinthian church. I really, really like them because you read through it and you're like, boy, if you were okay with them, then I guess I'm kind of all right. <laughs> but then I read a passage like this and it reminds me it's got nothing to do with me or who I am or who they were, but everything to do with what you did for us through Jesus Christ. You are amazing for that. You are wonderful for that. Help us to, to learn what it looks like to boast in you so that we may brag about who you are to anyone who listen so that they may know that they too can find the incredible peace in knowing you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.